Policy Matters is produced by Aegon and Transamerica's Global Government and Policy Affairs team. We're based in Washington, D.C., as well as The Hague in the Netherlands. Hello and welcome to Policy Matters, the podcast that examines the intersection of Aegon and Transamerica's business strategy with public policy issues at the state, federal, and international levels. I'm your host, Maurice Perkins, head of our Global Government Affairs team, and our team is based in Washington, D.C. and the Netherlands. In this episode, Mike Gugig on our team has a conversation with John Godfrey, North Dakota's insurance commissioner since 2016. The commissioner has prioritized issues like consumer advocacy and is focused on ensuring North Dakotans are better aware of the services offered by the insurance department beyond regulatory issues. He has also worked to restructure the insurance department, which he will discuss in this episode. On a national level, the commissioner has been an active voice in discussions about regulations, including the use of technology and healthcare reinsurance. He currently chairs the Innovation and Technology Task Force of the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, the NAIC. Thanks for taking the time, and let's have a listen. Thank you for joining us for our latest edition of Policy Matters. Today, our guest is John Gottfried, who was elected as North Dakota's insurance commissioner back in 2016 and re-elected by a landslide, I will add, in 2020. During his tenure as commissioner, Commissioner Gottfried has prioritized consumer advocacy among his priorities, ensuring that his constituents are aware of the work of the insurance department, separate and apart from the department's regulation of insurance carriers. At the national level, Commissioner Gottfried has become quite visible. He is a leader at the NAIC in the innovation and technology space and currently chairs the B Committee, which oversees all aspects of health insurance for the NAIC. The Commissioner earned his law and MBA degrees from the University of North Dakota and his BA from the University of Northern Iowa, where he did play basketball. And with that, Commissioner, welcome to Policy Matters. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, it's always a pleasure to be here. It's fun to get to talk insurance, talk technology, talk all the things that I love. So this is uh, right in my wheelhouse. Outstanding. Thanks, Commissioner. And on that point, I know that you are very interested in new technology and, and how those technologies can help improve both consumer and, and carrier experiences. Can you explain how you've been involved at the NAIC in assessing technology-related issues? Sure. I, I've really been involved, I think, since the beginning, uh, since uh, I first started as, as commissioner, you know, five years ago now. I think part of it may be because I was maybe the last one in the room to raise my hand on some stuff. Um, but it is absolutely an area that I find uh, interesting and I'm, I'm passionate about. North Dakota's had a long-standing kind of track record on technology issues around the NEIC as well. And my predecessor was uh, worked a lot on the cybersecurity model law and, and kind of in the formation of the Innovation and Technology Committee, as well, or task force as well. I think some of that has to do with our roots as a state. Uh, we're an agriculture state. We're very rural. We've got to, if, if something's broke, we've got to figure out a way to fix it. And that's usually through innovation or technology, and, and we'll figure it out how to do it on the farm. But my interest in it comes from, uh, I've always been a big fan of science fiction and things like that, and that may help me as a nerd, but it's always been interesting that the new technology and, and where things are going and how this is adapting and how we're evolving as not only an insurance industry, but as a, as a society as well. So that's been really interesting. At the NEIC, I've been fortunate enough to be the chair of the task force for the Innovation Technology Committee, as well as done some work on uh, artificial intelligence, the working group that, that created the AI principles for the NEIC. And then some of the lesser known, I guess, maybe more behind the scenes pieces is working on some surf modernization. 
just about every company, every state uses SURF as a filing system. And I guess my standpoint has been if we're going to ask the industry to, to modernize and to move forward on technology, uh, we better make sure our house is in order to at the NEIC. And so some of those modernizations are going to be really, really good. We're starting to roll them out now. That's great for the departments across the country, and it should also be good for the industry as well, just making that process a little bit easier, a little bit more intuitive. And so it's really been top-to-bottom involvement with the NEIC and, and technology and innovation, both on the industry policy side, but as well as on the back side of, of looking at basic structures of departments and things like that. So it's uh, it's it's absolutely an area that I've got interest in. It's absolutely an area that I've got passion in. And again, thankfully or unthankfully, I'm, I'm one of the ones that have raised my hand and, and I've been able to kind of run with it. Well, that's great, and and you certainly have been a benefit to the NAIC and industry uh, because you raised your hand later, or everybody else took a step forward. I'm not sure which one, <laughs> but, but I'm glad you ended up where you ended up. Let's try and narrow the focus of innovation and technology just a little bit, and let's talk about automated underwriting or algorithmic underwriting. First, can you explain what that is? I can give you my definition, and there may be up to some ter- interpretation, but it's uh, it's absolutely an evolving field, and it's an evolving area of, of not again not only the insurance industry, but basically the financial world as well. But it's it really comes down to is it's a process, right? If automated underwriting or algorithmic underwriting uh, replaces the traditional underwriting processes, and it uses predictive models or machine learning algorithms to analyze the data of, of a certain applicant. So that obviously leads to the next question of what's machine learning, uh, what does that look like? And again, some of this stuff is still open for debate, and we're still, again, evolving this. Um, but predictive modeling, it's essentially models that study patterns of data. They predict the outcomes, right? And machine learning is an algorithm that is a process that uses rules that are executed essentially to solve an equation. But the learning aspect of it is that it continues to evolve over time as data is pumped through the system. It'll make adjustments and it'll continue to learn from the data that it's seeing. So it's, it's new and it's, and it's and it's advancing, but there's still a lot of the traditional insurance pieces that exist within these review or this underwriting. And where we're at right now is again, it, it's very it's very much rules based. And so when we talk about accelerated or algorithmic underwriting, we can't confuse that with just a, a an automation of a process, right? So if we've got static rules, if we've got static decisions that are being made, and a company is just automating those, that's that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about taking a data set, running it through a predictive model, which is trying to predict outcomes based on the data set, and then having a machine learning algorithm that is then evolving over time by learning from the outcomes that the predictive model is spitting out. And so, again, there is a lot of traditional insurance pieces within the whole process. Uh, we're still at the, at, I would say, at the very beginning of this, at the kind of the cutting edge, the cusp of it, the start. And the reality is these definitions may change and evolve over time, just like these processes are. But the things that we're really focusing on right now is, again, where does that data come from? What does that data look like? How is it being used? And then making sure that our companies that are using these processes are aware of what they do and aware of the outcomes, right? And, and if we can put data in on the front end and we get an expected outcome or we get at least somewhere in the, in the variance of tolerance of what an expected outcome is, then that's good. But if we put this data in the front end and it's a completely unexpected outcome, we may have to look at the algorithm and look at reviewing that piece as well. So a lot of different pieces to it. There's a lot of people who are a lot more intelligent than I am that are coming up with these models and coming up with these algorithms. But I'll tell you, it's as scary as some of it sounds and as scary and, and nuanced as it sounds, the goal is eventually get to the, have these machine learning algorithms, I think, over time, 
can really remove the bias that we're all talking about, that we've all heard about, right? If, if you've got a machine learning algorithm that can essentially remove bias, because we're all human, we all got bias, and so these, these algorithms are all written by humans, but over time, this should truly get to a, a purely risk-based analysis, right? And so that, and remove that human bias. And so, again, we're at the front end of it. We're, we're probably 5, 8, 12, 15 years away from getting this totally down path. But I'm optimistic about the future. I'm optimistic about where this can go because I think a lot of the societal challenges we're talking, we spend a lot of time talking about it and working through, I think technology can help be the bridge to some of that. And so it's just a matter of doing it right and doing the right process and making sure we're doing we're, we're overseeing it appropriately. So long-winded answer to what algorithmic underwriting is, but uh, it's, as you can see, it's, it's not a simple topic. No, it's not at all. In the best of all worlds, what do you view as the benefits for policyholders and consumers more generally from automated underwriting? Ultimately, it comes down to cost and speed. Right? I mean, this should be less costly, hopefully, over time for companies to be able to do this analysis. There should be, the more we can automate this, the more we can, um, you know, it, it can speed up that process, which would be less costly for the companies, which hopefully lead to lower rates and better outcomes. Uh, and then also you can get, you can turn around claims payments quicker, uh, getting those, those decisions back to the consumers in a more timely manner, in a very quick manner. Not, again, not to say that our industry isn't doing it well now. But the speed of getting these claims payments back out to the consumers, I think, will be a big benefit to the consumer. But longer term, and those are the short term wins. Longer term, I think you're going to look at uh, perhaps a more targeted risk base. So, you know, you're able to micro-target some of that risk. You're able to inform the consumer of, hey, here are your risk factors. Here's what maybe you want to look at as a consumer, uh, and here's maybe what we're rating you on. So if you want to take steps to mitigate that risk, you can do that. I think there's an opportunity to engage our consumers in their policies a little bit better, and, and that should lead to better outcomes for everybody. Great. And is the NAIC taking any action to better highlight or put more into focus uh, some of these innovation and technology issues? At the recent, there was an announcement made at the recent summer national meeting about the creation of the new committee. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we started the, the Innovation and Technology Task Force has been in existence for five or six years. And these special executive level task force at the NEIC are they're generally meant to be on a more temporary basis, right? Uh, you know, these, these new kind of special committees, if you will. And so I think we got to the point where the innovation and technology side of it either needed to grow up or go away, right? So either you need to evolve into a full letter committee or you need to look at what do we need to do or is there, you know, Maybe it needs to go away. Obviously, innovation technology is going to be here to stay. We've got a lot of issues with cyber and a whole host of number of issues. So uh, we've made the commitment, I think, as the NAAC membership to evolve this into a new letter committee, which this will be the first time, I think, in, well, I, I don't know if anybody knows the last time we created a letter committee with the NAAC. I've asked, and, and we're going back into the annals of history to look at when we can see the, the last letter committee was created. But obviously, this this doesn't happen very often, and so I think that shows the commitment of the membership to uh, address these issues. Not only is that important, I think, to the regulatory body or the regulators and the and the industry, but it's an also important message to send to Congress that you know we've got a full standing letter committee that is going to coordinate across different lines and different different work streams to try to better collaborate across our industry on on how to solve some of these issues. So. As of January 1 is our intention at this point, uh, you know, we'll go to San Diego for the next national meeting and 
uh, give some of the final votes on it. But at, you know, the goal is that in January, the H committee will be up and running, and that'll be kind of the, the full-fledged innovation technology cybersecurity committee for the NEIC, which it's a really big step. I mean, I don't want to undersell it. It's you know we've we've had a task force that's done a lot of work, but committing those that, that level of resources of a new letter committee is a big step on on behalf of the NAIC and a big step on behalf of the membership. So it, I don't want to say it's a renewed commitment. It's an elevated commitment to this work and and kind of a recognition that we we're going to be doing this work for a long time in terms of how this industry evolves. I will tell you, I for one, I'm I'm quite excited about the possibility. I think it. It appropriately places innovation and technology as one of the most critical issues facing our business uh, and facing our consumers. And I agree with you. I, I think it's a long time coming and it's, it's a great result. One issue unrelated to innovation and technology, potentially there are ways to tie it together, but under your leadership, the NAIC just uh, amended the model unfair trade practices law to modernize some of the century-old rebating rules or anti-rebating rules. Can you give us just a little bit on what you did and why you did it? Yeah, no, and I can tie anything back to innovation and technology. So, (laughs) (laughs) No, this, so this started about two years ago um, when we asked the industry, what are the barriers to innovation? What are the barriers to uh, making some changes in the industry? And, And we often would get back, well, government. Government's the problem, you know, they're in our way. And we say, okay, that's great, but give us some specific examples so we can work on some things. And the thing that kept bubbling to the top was the anti-rebating laws. These, these are antiquated laws that had been, in, you know, they, they were set up 100 years ago. Um, states over time, have they become less consistent in terms of application. So when you want to look at either adapting or evolving as an industry, a lot of times they're running into the anti-rebating laws to that would be a barrier, and understandably so. North Dakota, admittedly, uh, we were a pretty bright line state before I got here. It was a, it was black and white, and, and we oftentimes sided on the fact that new products or new innovations were were too close to the line of rebating, and so we we wouldn't allow them. What that really does is it it's, it, it does stop innovation. And so when we looked at the anti-rebating laws, we really wanted to focus on value-added products and value-added services and acknowledge the fact that the industry can take steps and encourage consumers to mitigate their own risk. You know, whether that's through an Apple Watch like I've got here to track your own steps and, and, and some of your other uh, metrics, that's your, your health metrics, or whether that's a leak detection monitor placed by your, your washing machine. You know, there, there are certain things that, that the industry can do that can encourage consumers, again, to, to mitigate their own risk. If I'm able to go buy a life insurance policy and they give me a discount on an Apple Watch or a Fitbit or whatever tracking system they may want to use, and that encourages me to get healthier, or that encourages me to take steps to, um, again, become healthier, that's good for the consumer, that's good for the industry, and it's good for everybody overall. And and we didn't want to be a barrier to some of those innovations, right? The industry is going to be a lot more creative than we can be on the government side in terms of how do we deploy risk mitigation tools for our consumers? And I take the standpoint of we should be the last people in the world that would ever stand in the way of a risk mitigation tool. If we can prevent a claim from happening, again, that, that's better for everybody. That one again helps the consumers, helps the industry, helps everybody. So when you look at the value-added products and value-added services, they, they do have to be tied to the policy. They have, there has to be some relation to the insurance relationship between the consumer and the company. But we, we opened it up a little bit more to give some flexibility to the industry to be able to 
again, be creative and think of ways to, to mitigate this risk. Because I also see the industry as evolving into a risk mitigation industry as well. And I think there's an element of that in, of the industry that's going to be really taking off in that space to, again, if we can prevent the claim, that's really good for everybody. And and, and that it's certainly evolving much more on the PNC side right now and a little bit on the life side. And, and I think you'll, you'll see some more on the health side as we go forward. But this was an acknowledgement that there are tools out there that exist that we need to get into our consumers' hands to be able to take advantage of this stuff. And again, if a discount on a Fitbit or an Apple Watch because of your life insurance policy is what gets you to do that, I have a standpoint of I shouldn't be in the way of that as a regulator. I shouldn't stop that from happening. And it's similar to if, if we even saw things where education seminars or financial wellness things were being banned because of a potential rebate. Again, how do we get more information in the hands of the consumers? How do we get them engaged in their policies? These are all good things. And so let's let's make sure we're not the barrier to, to do that. And and so I'm hopeful that we'll that we'll see states adopt this. North Dakota has adopted the law. Um, and uh and, and we're excited to see what that, that means going forward. And we're still we're still learning what we don't know about it yet, but uh like I said, we're the first state to adopt it and uh I guess stay tuned. Outstanding. And, and once again, we as a company and as an industry are quite excited about that work on, on the modernization side. Well, with that, let me thank you, Commissioner Gottfried, for taking your time and helping us with our Policy Matters broadcast. We really do appreciate it and looking forward to seeing you in, uh, in San Diego, I hope. I hope we're all there. I hope, I hope everybody stays happy and healthy. And uh, I, I do appreciate the opportunity to come and talk. Um, like I said, it's uh, this is right in my wheelhouse, talking insurance, talking uh, technology. I've even convinced my wife at times that it's, uh, it can be interesting. So uh, I appreciate the opportunity <laughs> to come and have a good conversation. Thanks, Commissioner. Very Thanks, much. Nice. Friends America Resources Incorporated is an Aegon company that is affiliated with various companies that include, but are not limited to, insurance companies and broker-dealers. Transamerica Resources, Inc. does not offer insurance products or securities. The information provided is for educational purposes only, should not be considered as insurance, securities, ERISA, tax, investment, legal, medical, or financial advice or guidance. Please consult your personal independent professionals for answers to your specific questions.